welcome to Compton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Cult and Classic, the podcast about film, where we look at a mainstream film and a cult film that are thematically linked and discuss them both. We've got a bit of a departure on that today in our continuing holiday, end of the year, uh, double feature lineup. We have the Ewoks movies from 1984 and 1985, respectively. These are sort of, um, if, if the Star Wars holiday special is the child of Star Wars that they lock in the basement and chain to a wall and feed fish heads, then these two films are sort of the cousins that show up that they don't really like, but they do have a room and a bed for them and they talk about them behind their back uh, the rest of the year. That's what these are. And I, we're, I think we're gonna have probably a variety of different opinions about these films. So I'm excited to talk about them. Why, you may ask, are we doing them on a holiday episode. Well, while they're not really holiday themed, uh, which considering the Star Wars holiday special is probably a good thing, they were holiday releases. They were both released for Thanksgiving in 1984 and 1985 respectively on TV. Now, uh, they do exist in the Star Wars universe. It's debatable whether or not they're canon. Um, these are, unlike the Star Wars Holiday Special, have been released on home video, both VHS and DVD. They are currently out of print, but I have a feeling that uh, Disney will probably put these out again. Uh, I don't think that there's a reason that they won't, uh, especially considering they've been digging around the backlog of Star Wars bizarreness. So, uh, with us, as always, is me, your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic for HorrorNews.net. We also have Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Um, I'm doing really well. Um, I'm excited to talk about Star Wars. Huge fan, uh, Nanu Nanu. All right, Mork. <laughs> what and, a dick. Uh, we, we also have a Star Wars fanatic, Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? Recovering fanatic. Recovering and, fanatic. And I shot first. They, they've got him injecting like 30 cc's of uh, season two, the next generation, to get over it. Uh, all right. And we also have Amanda Longley. Mandy, how are you doing today? I'm blissfully wearing what my brother calls soft pants and drinking tea. So I really don't even care what we talk about. This is just going to be a good time. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, I want to remind everyone, we do have our videos up on YouTube now. And you can see all of our smiling faces as well as the beautiful posters for the films we discuss as we discuss them. Uh, it, is, uh, it is in the... I'm having a stroke here. We can go uh, to either these audio podcasts or your video podcasts on YouTube uh, via our website, cultandclassicpodcast.com. And of course, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cultandclassicpodcast and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at cultandclassicpodcast. So with that out of the way, let's dive into the first Ewok movie. Now, this movie, as I said, released uh, in November, 1984. It was originally just called The Ewok Adventure. Uh, it was later subtitled The Ewok Adventure, or rather uh, Ewoks, Caravan of Courage, to sort of fall more in line with the sequel which came out, which was called Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. So Caravan of Courage is an interesting beast. And if, if anyone hasn't seen these two films before, and you're familiar, of course, with Star Wars, the science fiction saga uh, that has taken the world over, every few years for decades. These are actually sort of fantasy films. 
uh, more of a sword and sorcery vibe, uh, despite the existing in the science fiction Star Wars universe. So it's an interesting departure. They were pretty big when they came out, hence the, uh, you know, the fact that Caravan of Courage had a sequel. And they were not completely disowned by George Lucas and others. So there's something to be said of that, because that's, of course, what happened with the Star Wars Holiday Special. Lucas did not see fit to buy up as many copies as he could and destroy the masters for these films. So the first one, Caravan of Courage, it's directed by John Cordy. Now, John Cordy did a lot of directing, uh, but mostly he did really kind of heavy hitting docudramas uh, and, and um, biographical films like uh, Where the DeBolts from 1977, Farewell to Manzanar, the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. So this was an unusual project for John Cordy. I'm not sure why John did it, uh, but that is what he did. And it, and it was probably a smart move for him financially, because like I said, it did fairly well. The film itself follows uh, two young kids, the older brother, Mace, yes, another Mace in Star Wars, probably the first Mace in Star Wars uh, history, and uh, his sister, Sindel, who is younger, played by Aubrey Miller, I believe this was her first role, and uh, they crash on a planet with their parents, their parents go missing, and they run into a helpful family of Ewoks, the most notable one being the youngest, Wicket, who is played by Warwick Davis. Yes, Leprechaun Warwick Davis. And I'm using Leprechaun as in he was in the movies Leprechaun as the Leprechaun, not calling this fantastic little person a Leprechaun. Uh, so they've arrived with the Ewoks. The Ewoks nurse poor sick Sindel back to health. Mace begrudgingly accepts them. He thinks they're filthy animals and he looks kind of like a, a, a bootleg Luke Skywalker like he has the same orange flight jacket and he uh except that and he has the same Prince Valiant haircut but instead of being like sort of eager to learn and meet new things he's like these guys are losers they're stupid animals well for no reason whatsoever he's super obnoxious um at least that's how I felt so the Ewoks then uh help the kids to rescue their parents from a giant who lives on a mountaintop and uh, this giant is, is literally the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk, sort of. Um, now, this is Star Wars-y in that there are um, side swipes for your transitions, scene wipes. There are, um, there's a kind of a lush score. There are, of course, Ewoks, and they look essentially like they did in the films. Um, they, that is to say that if you are a younger person and you saw the re-release of the original Star Wars films, they animated blinking onto the Ewoks. Uh, these do not blink. These are the original Ewok costumes. So they have very realistic sort of taxidermy animal eyes, these dark like golden brown eyes with these very uh, pinpoint pupils and, and human teeth. Uh, and the, the mouths don't fully close. So I actually like them. They're kind of freaky, but they're kind of cute from a distance. And then when you get close, you're like, ooh, that's, that's a little unnerving. Um, sort of like that hideous ad campaign by Quiznos from a few years back, uh, the Quiznos subs. So, we love subs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know what they were smoking in, in uh, Quiznos HQ to approve that little uh, treat of magic, but I'm sad we never got a feature film out of it. So anyway, we're going to dive right in because the plot is these kids, uh, along with the Ewoks, go to rescue the parents and 
spoiler alert, they're fairly successful in rescuing the parents. Now, there are no twists and turns in this, uh, and I don't think anything is a spoiler in this because you kind of, it's, it's a family film. You expect what's going to happen. The kids find the parents and go from there. And let's talk to Mandy. Mandy, had you seen this film before? I had not seen these films before. This right. one or the second one. Okay, so Caravan of Courage, what was your uh, expectation going in and how you feel now that you've seen it? Uh, I mean, I guess the more Star Wars movies we watch, because I'd only kind of seen the theatrical release Star Wars prior to watching these. We watched the uh, holiday special, the uh, Life Day special, which was not so good. And then now these ones. Um, so I guess it was, has actually reflecting a lot on my um, perception of Star Wars as a franchise, as well as like maybe why I have previously held such a high opinion of them or like before they started making new theatrical releases. Just, I think we all are grappling with that lately. And I was thinking that, you know, the power of indoctrination to a religion at a young age is extremely powerful. Like it is, it's very, it's very strong. Um, and I can recall my first introduction to the Star Wars franchise was one of my older cousins who had all three of them recorded back to back on a VHS tape. And that was like the coolest thing that anyone could have. Um, and I was probably like, because I like remember it clearly but I wasn't like too young for my parents to be like oh no like don't watch that movie um and I was like wow like Star Wars is some seriously cool sci-fi like space adventure stuff oh yeah very serious like top-notch like creme de la creme sci-fi and then as an adult you look back at it and you're like this is some like hokey, slapstick, cheesy, kind of shitty movies. Like, I mean, but you love them, but they have, they have heart. And Send like- hate mail to at Mandy Longley. Me, no. me, <laughs> yes. just, just me. My, my opinions are my own. They do not reflect the opinions of the rest of the panel. But like, anyway, so I was reflecting on that. And I think that I would have absolutely loved this movie as the seven or eight year old me that first saw Star Wars and like been totally into it. Uh, the adult me was kind of like, man, like, was this just made for TV? Like it was so made for TV. It sure was. Yeah, let's listen, <laughs> let's listen, let's listen to this clip from uh, the trailer for, uh, this is the trailer actually for the uh, VHS release from MGM of Caravan of Courage. In a galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We help you. So the trailer certainly gives the vibe of Star Wars, right? It, it has the iconic Star Wars music kick up. Um, but I, I think that kind of, it really is a different beast. Like it does, there are Star Wars elements. There's some interesting stop motion creatures. Um, there is a, the, the giant at the end is a, kind of an interesting design. He feels like he fits in the Star Wars universe to me. Um, but then there's some other elements that are 
distinctly the Ewok films and would not have been, they would have stood out or been real weird in, um, in the rest of the Star Wars canon. And you mean like real animals? Real animals. Movie? So the Ewoks have, um, I, I believe it's a combination, I could be wrong, of ponies and miniature horses. Uh, and then they have one actual draft horse. Um, but those, uh, Tad, those were not, there were no horses in Star Wars. Am I correct? Uh, actually, thanks to the rise of Skywalker, there are horses. Then they uh, rode on Star Destroyers, because that made sense. Okay, well... If you're talking Speaking about actual stuff life, we're talking about the original trilogy that no, existed during this time. No, and I distinctly remember a goat as well. And it's it's one of those things about and a ferret. It's one of those things about Star Wars. You realize that it's like when when you only have so much money to work with. It's like oh well, I guess we'll just throw some animals in. They, you know, they cares? had uh, a goat. They had the horses. They had uh, a ferret, which shows up a couple of times. The kids play with. They have um, uh, one or two of those chickens with like the Diana Ross hair. You know, uh, they're kind of chicken. It, they're super cool. And it was just interesting because it was the, the first time that I'd ever seen, and I think anyone had ever seen really a, uh, an, a Terran animal, an earth animal in the Star Wars films. And it was kind of jarring because I'm so used to only seeing humanoids or creatures that are clearly puppets or made for the film in some fashion. Um, Tad, you hadn't seen these films. What was your expectation going into this first one? And then how do you feel now that you've seen Caravan of Courage? I expected these to be uh, merchandising vehicles and I was not disappointed. They took the uh, part about Return of the Jedi that pretty much everyone universally pretty much hated and made three hours of it. Yay. I was so excited about it. I like the Ewoks, so y'all can bite me. But Well, the, the, <laughs> the, I, I, can appreciate. I also like the Ewoks. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate that. Um, the you you are correct in the fact that Ewoks look really cute from far away, and then as soon as you get up close, they're kind of like um, Chewie's dad. Like, oh, no, nothing. So, all right, guys, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure when this episode no. will air in comparison to when uh, we air our episode. Spoiler alert: If it hasn't aired uh, on the Star Wars <laughs> Holiday Special, but. Suffice it to say, Chewbacca's father in the Star Wars Holiday Special is the most terrifying creature committed to celluloid. So the Ewoks, comparing them to Itchy, uh, Chewbacca's <laughs> father, is truly is truly horrendous. I don't know, dude. Look at some of the close-ups of those faces. It's true, but I actually I will I will kind of go to bat for that because I like the fact that they're. <laughs> it's worth watching the video for this one for Tad's mugging. Um, it's it's sort of realistic, right? Like. I think possums are actually cute, but when you possums get very close to them, they look horrifying. They have jagged, ragged teeth and their black octopus eyes. Like they're spooky and they're little human hands. So like, it's sort of like, it felt realistic to me that these Ewoks are adorable. They're walking teddy bears, right? But then when you get close to them and you actually see their faces, when actually one of that costumes looks directly at something, you're like, that's chilling to me. And I actually yeah. really appreciate that. And I think that that is, that's clearly intended by Lucas and the designers in the original Star Wars trilogy because they're, they're well aware of uh, how to make aliens. That's not something they were ever uh, bad at. So let's move on. Greg, what was your expectation going into Caravan of Courage and how do you feel now that you've seen it? 
Um, I'm, my expectation was twofold. I mean, I kind of expected very middle of the road. Like I'm, I'm going to find some stuff I love. I'm going to find some stuff I hate. And I mean, I was, I felt I was pretty spot on. Um, but I was shocked. I mean, other than the animals, the, the real animals in both films, um, I liked them overall. Um, I think I went in fully aware that neither of these films would be made for me. I'm not a child. I don't have children. Um, there, there's nothing for me to gleam, but, um, as a Star Wars fan, it, it was kind of fun to see kind of what content was being put out before, like, um, even the expanded universe started going into full swing, which I think is like, you know, Thrawn hadn't even been invented yet. Early nineties. Um, yeah. That's so like, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Dawn books had not really exploded or, or had been, even been published at this point. I'm not sure. No, sure yeah. Timeline, but nope. Um, and like, I think like Mandy said, um, it, you know, I could see myself. Yeah. Like when, when you were just hot for star Wars, like this would have been it. I mean, you would have eaten this up. Like I would have, I think everyone would have, um, it's, it's crazy. We've, we've talked about this a few times. Um, the, the, the fall and disappearance of TV films aside from like a lifetime network or something is tragic because it's, it's such a strange thing because we, and maybe with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic causing so many theater features to go directly to streaming, we'll see a rise in this kind of thing. I mean, I think, I guess you could argue that Netflix originals and Hulu originals and things like that are the return of this, right? Where you had truly, fully realized, uh, fully funded films for the home. Um, and so these, when they came out, I mean, it was really uh, uh, an event, right? It's like the Charlie Brown holiday specials, you know, when they've aired every year until this year, uh, unless you have Apple TV, I guess. They, it's like, it's an event. The kids would get together, you know, like I, I don't, we don't see this anymore. And part of it, I think, is because when they do have a special, it's usually tied into a, a pre-existent series, at least on the main networks. And that doesn't feel like a special so much as like a, double length season finale or season premiere or something. It just feels like another piece of that, of that puzzle. Um, and we just don't get this anymore. And I really miss it um, because there is a feel for something that it was never intended to go direct to video. I'm sure there were plans, but it was intended to air like a, a television event, like a Super Bowl. Um, so I think that that's pretty cool. And I also kind of, I don't kind of, I enjoyed these movies. I will say my impression of Caravan of Courage is that it is by far the weaker of the two films. And see, um, I was on the opposite end. Oh, I really? liked this one a lot more. And obviously we'll get into, yeah, um, we'll get into the battle, the for, battle Endor. for Endor. So but. here's here's my take on this one. Um, it starts off sort of Robinson Crusoe or Robinson Crusoe on Mars. The kids are stranded and they have to uh, make do. And luckily they have the Ewoks. And so they're sort of learning and growing with the Ewoks. Then we have this interesting transition to the Lord of the Rings, where they, uh, the Ewoks form a fellowship of, uh, of warriors, and they must find two additional warriors on their trek to the mountain where they will, you know, resolve the plot. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy-handed with the Lord of the Rings parallel at this point. Um, when they and, they, and they have sort of that Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves moment with Little John, the Kevin Costner version, where, uh, or Morgan Freeman version, if you prefer, where uh, they're stopped by a, a fallen tree, you know, mid-ride, and they meet the, the strong-arm, tough 
Ewok and then that Ewok joins their party and brings them to the female Ewok, which kudos for them for bringing a female Ewok in the party. That's cool. Um, who is a mystic kind of Ewok. And, uh, and they go, now I'm not going to remember the names. I, I know that Deej is, uh, is the father of Wicket and Wicket is of course, um, uh, Warwick Davis. So that's, that's not, and, and really it's interesting that a couple of them did have solid personalities. I feel like uh, Wicket and his father Deej and then the strong Ewok um, sort of have personalities that are distinguishable. I don't remember the name of that Ewok, but they do have personalities. Otherwise, they're just sort of all furry bumblers that are rolling around. And this is a, there's a lot of tumbling in this movie, right? It's a lot of physical movement of these characters, which by the way, are played primarily by little people. Um, I enjoyed this one. My biggest problem was the pacing because there, it does take quite a while to get to the actual journey part. And then once they reach the journey, then it, it, there's a lot of stopping before they actually get to uh, the, the giant. Once they reach the giant's lair, I'm all in. They, it's sort of an old, you know, death trap dungeon uh, dragon's lair kind of vibe. Like they have to overcome these obstacles. There's a spider web that they have to cross with the one failure in effects really, which is the spiders. Um, I don't hate them, uh, but on in the in the DVD transfer, there's no high def transfer that uh, that has been released yet, uh, to my knowledge. But the the new transfers that they have for the DVD, you can literally see the wires on the um the spider puppets and which like I, I mean i guess i liked that i liked um i mean obviously i love some of the practical effects from um episode seven but i i miss some of you know seeing that kind of that hokey star wars stuff where you can see a boom mic or whatever um <laughs> and you know um no spoilers but i'm i'm watching the mandalorian right now for you know when it comes out and you, if you cut Caravan of Courage in half, I mean, because it, it, the pacing does have some some stumbles, but if you cut it in half, I mean, it reminded me a lot of watching The Mandalorian, where I'm kind of, I'm being introduced to this world that I know, but I'm seeing a lot of different sides of it. I'm seeing mm -hmm. different creatures. Um, the fact that they go to a desert in Caravan of Courage, um, I was like, oh, like, you know, we kind of have this one note idea of Star Wars planets where... Why, why, one why, biome. Yeah. yeah, why would that ever make sense for a life-supporting planet that is entirely water? Like it. So I like that this kind of gave you a little more flesh out. Um, and I mean, I thought the kids' acting was really good. I think that that's what surprised me the most is I was saw a film with two child leads, and I was I was ready to to zone out pretty hard. <laughs> I I thought that, and I could be. Um, I could be biased because uh, Aubrey Miller as Sindel, she looks startlingly exactly like my wife when she was that age. It's, if you look at pictures, I brought my wife out. I was like, honey, look. And she's like, am I in this movie? I was like, yeah, no, it's really, really close. Um, and these, by the way, were her only films. Uh, she was a child and these were two films. Um, she did edit a film uh, or assist edit a film in 2012. So who knows if she's back in the game somehow, but uh, Eric Walker plays Mace, and Eric Walker uh, has been in uh, a fair amount of other things during the 80s and 90s um, and, and a little bit in the 2000s. Now, 
I will actually say it's not necessarily a fault of Eric Walker's acting in any way, but the character of Mace that he plays, I found exceptionally annoying. Um, and it wasn't the kind of annoying that people will complain about the portrayal of Anakin and Phantom Menace, things like that. I don't, I actually didn't have a huge problem with that. The problem with Mace is that he's obnoxiously, to me, um, aggressive. He's aggressive, yeah. And he's he's sort of and and against his own his own like benefit. Um, I didn't and and they kind of I think the intent was in the script to have it like. Because uh, he even makes a comment when he's talking to Sindel about finding their parents. He's like, I've gotten into trouble before. Like, he's supposed to be a bad boy, um, as I think the vibe. But it doesn't work. And I think part of the problem is, is they lean very heavily on the Luke Skywalker imagery for him. So we bring that to the table and put it over him. And then when it doesn't fit, it doesn't work for me. Um, because, like I said, he bears a, a similar... Uh, resemblance to uh, Mark Hamill at this, his character at this stage. His costume is very similar to the flight suit that Hamill wars, uh, wore getting to, I think, is it when he's leaving Dagobah? Um, yeah. Anyway, when, when he gets the, the X-Wing. So, and well, I guess, I guess I saw it more as they were trying to play him like um, every little boy that wanted to be Han Solo. There you go. And, and you know, Which he kind of runs it like, oh, I'm going to shoot him as soon as I get my gun. We're out of here, sis. And like kind of making all these quips and stuff. But then you have this beautiful moment, I thought, when um, they find the, the fairy creatures, which I love the stop motion that they did for those. And he's like giggling with his sister, like holding this fairy thing. And you kind of get that sense of, oh, yeah, he's a kid trying to play. Badass. Yeah, trying to play, yeah. you know, the, he's the still a child though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the hot shot. And I guess I took it as that he's he is Luke Skywalker. He's kind of this boyish idiot, but yeah. he's trying to play Han Solo. Well, and he's and he's also got that you know responsibility of taking care of his sister. Um, I, mentioning that scene, I forget what they call what he calls the creature that he sort of picks up, um, but they're they're like. Uh, they're fairies and they're just light and they're physically animated over the, over the film frames as they did with effects like in the original Conan film, things like that. And it is beautiful. They did an amazing um, perspective animation on those. They reused it a few times, but it worked when they fly towards the camera. It's just super neat. I thought it was a little weaker when they actually show the creature in his hands because they limit the amount of frames that they used. Um, and it went a little long, but it was a standout scene, especially as you said, when they're in the tent. It's um, it's Sindel, Mace, and Wicket, the uh, uh, Warwick Davis's character, and they're just having a ball with this this fairy creature bouncing around in the tent. And it is really cute and very childlike, and felt very honest, especially for um, the uh, the two characters. Um, I mean, the, you know, two children, two siblings. <clears throat> I think that my biggest issue with Mace is that the Ewoks are so clearly helping them and he is such an ass to them. Um, like for, for no reason whatsoever. And it's, uh, it's, it's very confusing, especially since he's not very competent on his own, it seems. Um, he, you know, he does capture one Ewok in the beginning when they find him and then the, then the three Ewoks trick him and they tackle him and they tie him up. And it's kind of, it's a funny scene um, when they're carrying him through the woods, you know. Um, tied up and his sister is just totally free and, and happy and whatever. I thought that it was going to, uh, I, I saw it like I was watching his behavior. And I was like, oh, he's going to make a great Imperial soldier when he grows up. Maybe he'd actually right. join the first order later. Yeah, no, it is sort of a, it is sort of a, 
his aggressive tendencies to me were a little uh, much. I think you're right, Greg. I think they were going for sort of the, the he's trying to play tough um, with a combination of maybe he was kind of a bad kid. And so now he feels extra guilty that his parents are gone. And who knows, maybe they were flying somewhere because of him because they've shipwrecked here, right? So we don't really know any of that backstory. Um, but for me, it was a little hard, especially when his sister is so syrupy sweet um, and, and adorable the whole time. And spoiler alert, one of the Ewoks does pass away in their battle with the giant. Um, and it is uh, the lovable, strong one. Uh, and he's really cute. And he gives, uh, as he passes, he gives Mace his hatchet, uh, which of course saves his parents' life in the end. So it's got a, it's got a nice little wrap up. Um, I felt that the ending was, was, was good. I mean, we don't really know at this point what's going to happen to them. You know, they're still shipwrecked or whatever. Um, but it was, I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's still by the numbers, but it's satisfyingly by the numbers. Like I wasn't left wanting more. How did you guys feel about the ending? Were you okay with that? Do we have any other choice? I mean, exactly. Like, <laughs> well, we had a sequel. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what could have. I don't know how else they could have ended it, but them finding the parents, right? Like, there's really no. Oh, can we talk about this weirdness though? Can we talk about so when they reach the the giant's lair, which, like I said, it's literally Jack of the Beanstalk. The the parents are in a, an elevated cage, uh, and there's a big table, and the giant just stumbles around eating crap off the table and then poking at the parents and then wandering off. So what happens is is Luke. There's some questionable physics involved um, when they, they do they do sort of uh, with one of his big utensils they do a um, teeter totter routine to launch uh, launch mace up to the cage. I actually at first I was like no, but then when they actually showed it, I was like yeah, okay, what the hell? I'll I'll buy it like whatever. But when he gets up there, he drops a rope down, and then when he drops a rope down two of the Ewoks climb up the rope to the cage just so they can all climb back down again. What was with that? I didn't understand uh, that at Ewoks all. Ewoks aren't, aren't smart. I think that's... <laughs> hey, hey, you're like, you're a huge... It's like Lemmings. Fan. It's just... Like you're a huge Scooby-Doo fan, Nate. Do you remember that... that, uh, that it's one of my favorite uh, skits in Scooby-Doo where they're trapped with the space... What I think it was... The, I can't remember what the, it was. The Space Ghost or something. They're trapped in a room. And they're like, Zoinks, that thing's coming after us. Then they block one of the doors. And then Scooby throws the key out the window. And then this, the ghost just opens the door. And they're like, oh, no, it opens from the other side. Quick, we got to get the key so we can get out of here. It just <laughs> yes. reminds me of that sequence right there. It's, it's my favorite Scooby-Doo scene. James Gunn classic. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, was, it was just a weird, like, I wish they'd acknowledged it. Like, I think the logic was when they were directing, it was probably, well, the, 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 the parents are weak. They need help getting down. How in the hell is an Ewok? gonna help someone get down it doesn't make any, it just didn't make sense and i was like it was just a it was like 30 seconds so it was long enough where i'm like what what i thought they were getting out why are they going like what what is happening and then they move i don't on. know they're they're made of magic and they've beaten stormtroopers to death and taken down atsts they okay, just to be fair anything can beat a stormtrooper to death they've that's never true. taken anything in the history of time um so okay so we're gonna wrap this up uh the caravan of courage mandy who would you recommend caravan of courage to and why I don't know, like <laughs> little kids. I, I, I don't know. My three-month-old was enthralled <laughs> watching it with me. So, target demographic. Should have watched. Should have watched this with a two-year-old. Yeah, I, guess, there you go. I did not. I did not. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know. I, I guess what Greg was saying too, like if 
if you're just still really hot for Star Wars and you want to see them expand the universe a little bit, like, check this out, because it's probably something you haven't heard of. All right. Greg, who would you recommend Caravan of Courage to and why? Um, I'm going to kind of echo Mandy. I mean, any any family, really. Like, if, if you got young kids and you're just looking for something that's PG and it's going to entertain you enough that you don't want to shoot yourself at the end and it will probably enthrall your kids um this is good or on the other hand if you're like a diehard star wars fan and like me you've never seen this and you're like okay um i kind of want to ingest everything so all right tad you're up who would you recommend the ewok adventure to and why um small children and um you know what i can't think of the name but um, people who actually enjoyed, what's that movie that also has... Um, one with a guy? Ewok Battle for Endor? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another fantasy movie. Why can't I think of the name? Is it Legend with Tim Curry? No, it's not Legend. It's the other one. The oh. one where they like ride on a sled. And it has um, Warwick in it. What, what is that movie? Well, Willow? Nathan said Willow. Was Willow. That Willow. Thank you. That was okay. what I was going to say. Sure. If you like, if, if you like Willow, Willow... I do not think of them riding on a sled as the iconic scene from me either. That's movie, the, that's the I think of the big guy pushing him against the wall going, you want to breed? That's what I think of from that movie. But anyway, that's what yeah, I was going to say too. Yeah, Willow was a good want, comparison. If you, are a, if you are actually a fan of Willow, Willow is not my favorite fantasy movie, but if you liked Willow and you want Willow in a, like a Star Wars flavor, this is it. There you mm -hmm. go. Boom. I really thought that more about the next one, but... Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that in a to minute. some extent yeah i think i think my uh i agree with tad and i think people who like 80s fantasy films um are probably going to dig this because it feels right alongside some of those but uh i will tell a quick story about uh tad and i's good friend matt uh who oh, lord uh when he, he he's he's now happily married with children with a wonderful woman and uh, named megan and when they met uh and eventually uh, Megan introduced him to her family, her, her younger sister, they're very close, her younger sister, uh, I think, I guess the whole family was asking Matt, who's a big nerd, self-confessed, said, they said, what's your favorite movie? And he goes, I don't know, um, Willow? And Megan's younger sister looked at him and said, the one with the midget and the stick? And if you've never seen Willow, that's going to confuse you. If you have seen Willow, you will know that that is a shockingly, shockingly accurate depiction of that entire film. And yeah. that will always stick with me. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with the second Ewoks movie. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line 
These are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes. So you can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought, and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Colton Classic Podcasts and inspired by our episodes. They can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for ColtonClassicPodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Colton Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Colton Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Colton Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, once you recommend it to a friend, we all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. We are back. Uh, we are talking about the second and final, up until now, Ewoks film, Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. This is the one that came out in 1995. Uh, behind the camera, we have a totally different um, director and writer. The director of this is uh, Ken Wheat. Uh, Ken Wheat, excuse me, that's not right. The director, no, it is right. Ken Wheat and Jim Wheat. Um, they, they're a, a team and they both wrote and directed this. Um, they're also responsible for the Riddick Films scripts. So take from that with you will. I think they're kind of middle of the road there. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're working and, and that's, they have had success. Let's, let's say that. I find that this film, while the characters are the same, um, Warwick Davis is still there as Wicket, um, and, and uh, the, the kids are there and everything like that, it's sort of a departure. I find this one more Star Wars in kind of a way that it's a little more bleak. Um, and I say that because, again, spoiler alert, I don't think it ruins the movie, but it is kind of shocking. They pull like a hardcore Alien 3 right at the beginning. Um, the family is completely killed except for little Sindel. Um, and Sindel is the only survivor in, of the family. And I was shocked by this, to be honest, because the first one is so squarely a family film. Um, not that this one's not a family film, but you know, it opens with war, uh, a, a battle. Um, it's sort of an empire strikes back all over again. The Ewoks are battling against this, this invading force, um, a little smaller scale. They are really, I thought, cool designs. They're sort of like, they look like zombie monkeys. Um, like they're all tall, lanky, hairy, like Planet of the Apes, but really old and sinewy. Like if, um, if David Carradine near the end of his life was an ape, like this is sort of what they look like. 
Um, and they're led by uh, a character named, I believe, Tarek, um, who is played by Ken Wheat. I keep saying Ken Wheat over and over again, sorry. He's played by um, Carol Stryken, who is pretty well known and recognizable. He was in Men in Black, but I always think of him as Lurch from the 90s Adams Family films. So um, there's a, a good character actor behind that spooky monkey face mask. And <clears throat> they're looking, the, this is hardcore fantasy at this point. Um, the, the monkeys have swords and medieval armor and they fight as though they're sort of, you know, medieval uh, Englishmen. And uh, they have a sorceress who I don't totally know what her purpose like I, I don't exactly know um why she's in here except why is she there yeah i mean sorry i'm like stumbling over my words I, I don't know what exactly the the reason for her was except to do a cool effect and say this is a fantasy movie you are no longer watching a science fiction film um and it's believe... kind of funny that they have her and then, you know, um, I think it's after this that they introduced the Night Sisters in one of the novels. So I thought that was kind of funny that, like, witches eventually become canon of Star yeah. Wars, but not quite the same. I will, I will clear some of that up for people later. And, well, and, and so this is, uh, she's played by a veteran screen actress, very well-known, um, Sean Phillips. Um, I, I don't know if that's how you say her first name. It's S-I-A-N, but um, she does a good job. She sort of eats the scenery a little bit. Um, she's got her Morticia vibe all in black. And she has this gold and ruby ring that has a dial. And when she turns it, she changes shape. Now, we only ever see her change into the shape of a raven, but she does that several times. It's very Witcher. And uh, she's in there. She's al alongside the, the monkey men. And they're looking for the power. Now, we don't know what the power is, but in this battle, they run into uh, Sindel's father as he's just completed their ship to fly home, which is super depressing. They rip it apart um, and steal what looks to be dilithium crystals, uh, but that is the wrong universe. But it's the power source for the ship. Um, and then he is killed, helping Sindel escape with some of the uh, Ewoks, but of course they all get picked up and thrown into one of their cage-carrying caravans. The, some of them escape and they're required then to sort of combine forces with anyone they can and take down uh, this monkey minion force and uh, save Endor. Now again, I don't know how big Endor is, apparently it's bigger than we all thought, but um, I don't think the I don't think Endor is really at risk from this small group of, of medieval monkeys. I think it's more of a battle for the village on Endor. But I found it I found it very Star Wars feeling, despite being fantasy based, um, because we have blasters now, um, which we didn't have in the first one, and uh, there's the Wilhelm scream scream in there again at some point, and uh, it's. I liked it. I liked this one. I thought this one was much stronger pace. Um, it, it really does tell you that things are going to get serious because everyone's dead except for the one human character or humanoid character. Um, we don't have Wicket's family in this. You don't, I don't know if they perish, but it's really just, Wick, it seems, even though it probably hasn't been a huge amount of time, 
it seems like Wicket is now more adult. Like he's able to sort of handle himself and take care of Sindel. And he, he's sort of, they're best friends. They mentioned that several times and it's cute. Also, we didn't mention this. We talked about the last one, which is a shame. Burl Ives occasionally narrated the first film, Caravan of Courage, which even makes it more of a holiday film. Of course, the singer-songwriter who, uh, who, who did the narration and songs for Frosty the Snowman and many holiday classics. Um, there is no narrator in Ewok's Battle for Endor because Wicket has learned sort of pidgin English, which is a great relief to me. Um, not that they killed it, you know, beat us to death like they did in the Star Wars Holiday Special and Caravan of Courage with Ewoks just speaking Ewok. I didn't think it was too bad. I think that the narrator was a relief on that front. But in this one, I didn't find it, I didn't, I didn't think it was badly done. I actually thought that the amount of English he spoke um, was enough to, to get me going. As the uh, Sindel and Wicket on their own try and, and figure out what to do with themselves, they come across Wilford Brimley playing Wilford Brimley in a little tree house in the middle of the woods. Now he has this spooky like monkey that can travel extremely fast named Sonic T the monkey. Sonic the monkey. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, really neat classic Star Wars vibe. Spooky looking but kind of cute but kind of horrifying. Um, he's an interesting side character. He reminds me, I forget the name, but Scotty's helper in the uh, most recent Star Trek films, uh, that little creature. He's sort of like that, except he's super fast, is, is what I thought of in my head. So Wilford Brimley is this curmudgeonly um, uh, hermit in the woods on Endor, uh, who you learn crashed there with another person, um, and that other person was sent to look for a new power source for their ship. You know, there, there's, there's Chekhov's gun sitting on the table in that statement. Well, Wilford Brimley is there to show us that Santa Claus is a hermit and even Endor has hermits. I don't know what to say about it. He has nothing science fiction about him whatsoever or fantasy. He seems like he stepped out of um, a diabetes commercial. And, uh, but he's Wilford Brimley. I mean, he's fun. He was in the 1992 The Thing. I, he's just such a character that they give him a lot of screen time and he chews it up just fine, in my opinion. But anyway, he warms to Sindel uh, and Wicket. And actually, I thought the warming was actually kind of cute because Teak is, of course, giving them food and stuff. And he's like, don't give them food. And then they give him food. And then he's like, don't let them stay. And then he makes them like um, snugly blankets and, and, and stuff. It's very cute. Of course, they have to go find uh, the other Ewoks. And long story short i've already made it super long it's basically i've, I've, I've gone uh, second by second in this movie uh they go and they rescue the ewoks fight the monkeys and they get the power source back which of course despite how many times they tell the monkey and the sorceress this is not a great weapon it is a battery essentially to fly a ship they will not let it go um the big twist in this one is that the reason that Tarek is look, the monkey is looking for the power source is because Wilford Brimley's old shipmate who went looking for one told them that it was power and somehow they decided it was an ultimate weapon or something. And so they held him captive and tortured him to death uh, to learn about the power. Uh, there it is. Uh, they of course, in the end, defeat the monkeys. They find the power source. Wilford Brimley gets the ship working again 
and uh, he and Sindel alone take off and into, into further adventures that we don't know anything about. There's a couple of things, there's actually a lot of things I'd like to talk about in this movie. I enjoyed this movie. The pacing is much better. It feels like, almost feels like a contemporary Star Wars film in that the Rogue One, Hans, you know, Solo vibe where there's a lot of action, there's a lot of battles. It feels a little more like a war movie. It also, I mentioned this in the first one, it feels like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner because, although maybe a little less adult, because they spend a lot of time sort of in the woods trying to figure out what they're gonna do before actually going and the big battle. It also feels like Star Wars in that the battle takes place uh, in Endor in the woods near a ship, the final battle. Um, and is it the final battle that's near a ship? It is, because they escaped the castle. It just feels a little more Star Wars visually, although they don't have this, the, um, the screen wipes, I don't believe. It's, it's, it also feels like Caravan of Courage. I definitely think that this feels like a contemporary sequel. It, it was done that next year. It was not done later. It was done right there. I'm going to stop my giant tirade, and I'm going to let Mandy speak. Mandy, how did you feel about this one going in versus the end? Because you'd already seen Caravan of Courage, so you knew what to expect, yeah? Uh, so I was like, my expectation was it's going to be the same, and it's going to be equally painful. And then I was pleasantly surprised. I really liked this one a lot more. I really liked the creepy Sonic the Hedgehog monkey thing. I really, really liked him. I don't know why, but he was awesome. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the dynamic, the friendship dynamic between Wicket and Sindel. Yeah, it was um, It was really sweet. And it was really well done. Um, and believable. Uh, I was super creeped out that Sindel wears the same outfit through the whole movie, including sleeping. Uh, I did that, that did not sit well with me. How about the Wilford <laughs> Brimley wears the same outfit throughout the whole movie? Yeah. I'm just kidding. He actually does change, which is even creepier because what did he change? Anyway. He has wardrobe changes, right? So um, I even kind of like the ending, although it left me feeling like why was this movie called The Battle for Endor? Like, it, it was like the, the escape from Endor, or like, like I don't know. That would have been great a getaway. accurate. I hadn't thought about that, because yeah. there is a battle on Endor. I'm like, that's close. Yeah. But yeah, I think the scale is different, and the focus is different. Um, mm -hmm. Because you could have made this same plot focus on the Ewoks, and the Ewoks battling to free other Ewoks, but that's not really what it feels like. It feels like mm -hmm. Wicket and Sindel trying to learn how to survive. And mm -hmm. then rescuing, um, uh, well, rescuing Sindel because she gets captured and taken to the monkey's castle, which is a straight up medieval castle. Um, mm -hmm. You would think it might look a little newer. Very, very Willow. I got some pretty strong Willow vibes. Yes. And, from and this one, uh, that portion. Like said, this one is just, it's more action. Um, and I like that mm -hmm. there are a variety of characters that aren't Ewoks. So even though I love the Ewoks, I find them difficult to differentiate from one another. Um, and so the fact that there is the monkey king and the sorceress and Wilford Brimley and Teak, the sonic monkey, um, who really, upon further thought, if you imagine um, an old Whiteford arthritic Abu from uh, Aladdin, that's kind of what he looks like. Um, he has these really sad, permanent sad eyes and these janky. Fair enough. Um, 
but it is, he's, he's cute. And I, the interesting thing to me is when, at the end, when Wilfred Brimley's character and Sindel fly away, Teak stays, which suggests then that Teak is actually native to Endor, which is kind of interesting because we really don't know a lot of intelligent creatures that live on Endor except for the, the Ewoks and then these spooky monkey people, which we don't know what they call themselves. Um, I really like them. They, they'd be right at home in a, a Conan the Barbarian film in the, in the 80s. But anyway, moving on. Greg, what did you think of Battle for Ender? You said you didn't like this one quite as much as the first one. Let's, let's go into that. Um, I mean, I think the, I, I've been thinking about it the whole time. Why, what, how can I kind of summarize why I didn't like this one? I think because I can't find it fitting into the Star Wars narrative. The first film, uh, Caravan of Courage, I can mentally put it somewhere where it still works with every other piece of Star Wars lore to an extent, as much as you can, um, versus this one just fell out of time. Um, I, I will say um, Wilford Brimley um, eventually warming up to being in the film was was sweet. Um, but you know him and the sorceress um just yeah trying to chew every piece of scenery they possibly could it i think it was funny and entertaining for the wrong reasons um i think the decision to take out all of the family i thought it was a poor decision um i was shocked to be honest i i was shocked and then i was like okay like i'm I, maybe that's it is that opening I loved. I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is so. This is so 180." And then I'm like, "Oh right, I'm stuck with Talking Wicket, who I fucking hate." And then um, this little girl, and it's just two cute people. And I'm like, "Okay, like where's a bit of you know a bit of grease to this pond?" And Wilford Brimley stumbles in, and I'm like, "Oh, you know what? Let's just let's go back like like an hour, and <laughs> I'm gonna rethink my wishes." So I totally see that. Um, I, I agree. I was shocked and a little horrified, which you kind of, you should be, right? When this person, this, this family that you've essentially followed is wiped out without ceremony. Um, like I kept expecting them to come back. I kept expecting them to, because we know they're dead because they, in the first movie and in this one as well, they wear these bracelets that have little lights on them that show when someone is in distress or whether they're healthy. And of course, Sindel sees that each of the lights go out. And um, it's, the, there isn't, it, like I said, it's an Alien 3 moment, right? Where, where Ripley wakes up and is like, everyone else is dead. And you're like, why? Like, these things happen in real life, these random chances. But in a film or a work of fiction, they tend to frustrate us. Because why am I reading something that has random acts of God in it? It's not going to work with my brain. You know, essentially every piece of fiction is sort of a puzzle. And if pieces don't fit the way our schemas want them to, um, then we often are frustrated by them. And, and so I, I guess that I, I, maybe that's it is Caravan of Courage. You said that these both came out on Thanksgiving Day, right? right? So that comes out the first one. A bummer. <laughs> yeah. Like the first one is obviously meant for families to sit down and watch together. And so the second one takes this tone that's it's, I think it's for us. It's for, yeah. you know, an older crowd to kind of like, Oh, wow. But 
that's not the crowd that would have liked the first one, so they're not coming into the sequel. So who is the movie? And it's for? only a year apart. So yeah, <laughs> it's sort of it makes me think because of the change in in the writers and directors, it almost feels like these people saw the first one and were like, I hate Mace. I don't know why the parents are there. Cause I will say this, the parents were annoying in the first one. I found it. They only have two scenes really the opening scene where they're wandering around the ship before they get chased off by the giant going, where are they? Where are they? Like literally over and over and over again. And then we see them. Um, and I believe the father in, at least in uh, battle for Endor, isn't he the, um, isn't he the principal in breakfast club? Yeah, excuse me, Breakfast Club, yes, the other job. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the, the Dean and Van Wilder. <laughs> and also, uh, this is going to be, this is, this is going to be terrible. Isn't he also the one that got arrested for child pornography in the 2000s? Anyway, um, I'll do some research on that. I don't want to, I don't want to spread misinformation, <laughs> but um, it was weird to see him, who's sort of a recognizable actor now, have such a very tiny part, uh, but... I, this is sort of why I found Battle for Endor more of a Star Wars film because Star Wars is fun, but it always has this dark edge around it. Like, you know, Empire Strikes Back is incredibly bleak. Um, you know, uh, in, in New Hope, you know, Uncle Ben and, and his aunt are burned alive and we see their smoldering corpses and we just have to move on to the next scene really quickly. You know, like things happen that are actually quite tragic, uh, but we're forced to move rather quickly. Uh, so we can't dwell on them too much. And it is it, sort of, it's kind of a genius device because it gives us that sense that there are stakes without making us too sad about it as we move on to the next action set piece. So I think that they definitely intentionally took a different tone with this one than they did with Caravan of Courage. I, I'm still not sure it's what I would have done because I would have actually been okay with some kind of reunion at the end. Like maybe, you know, maybe the father died because we know he died. He got shot several times, but maybe the mother and Mace are still alive, you know? They yeah, I kept, th I kept thinking that they Me were too. somehow miraculously going to come back. Me too, and I... Or at least one of them. At least one of yeah. them. Some guy, I mean, the, the fact that the death of a child is, is usually pretty heavy. Um, it, it's a heavy deal. Right. So it's like you don't see that kind of thing very often unless it is in a serious film or it's not shown, but it's you learn that it happened before the film takes place. Um, now, I guess uh, just as an interesting thing, I guess that there was uh, a sequel to this and he walks three film that never got out of the planning stages, um, but Will Davis was slated to be in it. Um, so I don't know, maybe they had another, another, maybe there were additional ideas. Um, Everything but... about this, um, these two movies indicated to me that they kind of wanted to follow the same story arc that Ewoks, Battle for Ender was going to be the Empire Strikes Back. It was going to be filled with tragedy and they were going to set Sindel up to be kind of like the next you know, hero of a, of maybe a later story or something like that, that never came to fruition. Like I probably would honestly be more interested in a Sindel trilogy than uh, dealing with Ray. So, cause she actually has to go through some real tragedy. Like she's going through some Luke Skywalker tragedy shit. Well, and there's, I want to talk a little bit about the extended universe lore involved with this because the, the witch character that we talked about, um, Charles, uh, she, they, Various sources have said that she is a night sister, which 
in the Star Wars universe, and it is officially canon because they did bring them into the Clone Wars show, um, is that they're, they're from a planet called Dathomir and that they're sensitive to the dark side of the Force and that they worked with Count Dooku sort of for um, the, the Empire. So it, it is an interesting thing that they're sort of, as Greg said, they're expanding upon the lore in a way that if, you're, if they're careful, they can tie into the extended Star Wars canon without um, shattering the science fiction elements that we all kind of hold pretty dear. Now, the other thing is too, is that um, it's, they think this takes place after uh, Return of the Jedi, um, because in Return of the Jedi, because of course Wicked is in those films, um, Wicked doesn't speak English in that. So it wouldn't make sense um, for these, for this film, and I think the first film as well, really, to take place um, before uh, Return of the Jedi. Because what, he, he learned English in like less than a year? Because look at the age, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I think these it's interesting. These were definitely intended to be sort of the first stories past that yeah. arc of the story. And uh, as, you, as you mentioned, um, historians kicking in here um, for people who don't know uh, originally the night sisters were a sect of force users that lived on Dathmir. it was a backwards planet full of m basically people who lived in the mud and the night sisters were uh dictators essentially you know they were they were it was a highly combative regimented society and uh i don't remember why uh, Luke, Leia, and Han ended up on that planet, but it was uh, it was a long hell for them. And then when they reintroduced it into the canon in the Clone Wars, they were actual sorceresses and not just Force users. In the original story, they were intended to be viewed as sorcerers, and Luke went, no, they just know the Force. They just use it very differently. And then in the cartoons, it's it's basically magic. And a lot of people going back to these movies, they look and go, well, Star Wars doesn't have magic in it. It's like, yeah, actually they did. If you go back to some of the old stories, there was a distinct difference between using the force and using magic. There was like Sith alchemy, like the Sith actually used in, in like the ancient times, weird, creepy magic, like almost nec necromancy and all that. They crafted weird weapons. Which is funny. Could... Yeah. They, they, oh, yeah, they bring that. They bring that in. Um, what is it? Jedi Fallen Order. They bring the Night Sisters back again and try and like 180 it one more time. Like, oh yeah. no, it is like necromancy. Or... Yeah, there's there is a very fine line between using the Force and then the weird, creepy, you know, wispy magic that you know these high fantasies are known for. And sci Star Wars is still a fantasy first and sci-fi second. It's true, and I think purists sometimes forget that and and, and argue because. The idea of the Force, why were people so upset when Lucas tried to, um, quote unquote, scientify the Force, you know, as the midichlorian counts in the blood cell? Because it took away something that had much greater implications, right? The idea that there's this interconnectivity that's beyond even this advanced science, which the advanced science in Star Wars is actually a very, a very, you know, uh, Russian surplus, you know, <laughs> science, like not to offend our Russian listeners. We love you guys. I'm just teasing, but like, it's known as being a little wonky. It's a little rough around the edges. It's a lot of reused parts from older things. Like the, the entire, you know, uh, cosmos seems to be recovering from some pretty hard times. Um, and I, I did find this, I wanted to say too, as we talk about the, the serious violence or not, not violence, but the serious, 
um, nature of this film versus Caravan of Courage. They actually, ABC aired uh, a disclaimer at the beginning of this when they said, they said uh, and I guess the claimer says, quote, tonight's continuing fantasy adventure of Sindel and the Ewoks, ooh, spoiler alert, that things aren't gonna go well for Mace, contains some scenes of suspense and jeopardy which may be too intense for young viewers. Parents are encouraged to watch with their children. Uh, it did get a PG um, rating. I think I still think people would be upset, and I and as you said, Greg, I actually wonder if the disconnect between Caravan of Courage and between this film is what led to the ultimate downfall of Ewoks Three, because which is a shame. Um, I'm going to go right out and say it. After watching this, I think that uh, that they should seriously do another fantasy heavy side story in the Star Wars universe. Cause I enjoyed seeing this separate side that had these nods to Star Wars. Um, it's, it seemed to me almost like the first time I'd actually seen a true side story from Star Wars in film form, because we, they say, Oh, well you have Rogue One and you have Solo. I'm like, okay, Solo is personally uh, a great Star Wars film. Uh, I got your back, Ron Howard. <laughs> but it's a Star Wars film, and it's clearly about Han Solo, who exists in that Star Wars universe we're familiar with. Rogue War is the same way. Um, it exists in a very specific wartime Star Wars universe. There's lots of flight ships and blasters and such. Um, this is the only one that's different, uh, are these two films. Um, and for people who, who, who know about the Ewoks animated series, it aired the same year in 85, uh, and it is a direct continuation of this story arc. Um, I mean, the Ewoks all speak English. Uh, I don't, it's a little, they're sort of careberry, but um, it is uh, it is directly off of these plots. So it takes place after the battle for Endor. Um, yeah, I, I actually thought that this one had a lot of promise, but I, I do wonder if part of the issue was uh, the content did not fit with what viewers were given to expect based on the first film. So the other thing I want to talk about in this movie is the scene where Sindel has been captured. She's captured by um, the, the witch Charles, and Charles is then thrown in prison with Sindel because Sindel's not, not making the power work because she's like, just, I don't know what you want me to do. It's a battery. Um, well, Charles also thinks that she's holding out on them, even though she's in a cell next to Sindel, and it's like, just do it. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, it's not what you think it is. And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, well, you're stupid, and you're in jail. Um, and the monkey man took your ring, so you can't turn into a raven and fly away. There's this scene, the Ewoks break in to rescue her with Wilford Brimley, and they're unlocking all the Ewoks. And then um, I think it's Wicked who has the key. It could be another one. And Charles is like, free me. And I actually expected them to free her, right? Because that seems to be the typical um, plot turn use, uh, which is, you know, oh, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Um, but Wicket goes to free her, and Cinder runs up and goes, don't let her out. She's evil. Um, and apparently she is. And that's, <laughs> and they leave her there, presumably to be executed, which it was definitely. did love that. Huh? Yeah, I did was, love that. Yeah. It was like, and I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like that's more realistic than what we usually see in movies like this. Um, because this woman just just like kidnapped Sindel and brought her to essentially her death. Um, and this is the reveal where um Charles shows that the the tattered skeleton hanging from the wall opposite of Sindel's cage is um 
Wilford Brimley's character's friend who went off to look for the power source all those many years ago. We don't really know how long uh, Wilford Brimley has been there. Maybe he was a young man when he landed. I'm not sure. He looked pretty well set in his ways. Um, yeah, so, so that was an interesting moment. And I kept expecting them to go back to that and they just don't. Also, does, does Charles survive? I don't know that I remember her dying in any way. I think that she's just trapped as a bird She's forever. trapped as a bird. Because what happens is, is the monkey man, Ty Tyrek, I think, he, he's taken her ring as punishment because she's like, let me out, I'll help you find the kid when she escapes with the Ewoks. And he's like, okay. And she turns into a crow. And then she, as she's turning, he snatches the ring off her finger, which is a super token thing to do. Like that's a token twist right there. Um, and he's got the ring and now she's stuck as a raven. So she does lead them to her. And then eventually um, uh, Tyrek gets like a super cool death scene. I thought this, this was very um, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he's, he like dies by, he ends up turning into like this, this crunchy stone figure um, that looks like it's going to crumble with his fist up in the air, like arched back towards him in that, you know, old school comic book pose with the ring in his hands. Um, and uh, it's interesting because, yeah, you assume then that Sindel is trapped as a raven forever. That's right. Because he's stone with this thing in his, in his hands and she's a bird. Um, I mean, ravens are pretty smart. I figure eventually she'd get it out, but I, I thought that was an interesting touch. And also, I guess this movie, uh, unlike Caravan of Courage, I felt had a lot of little threads left in it that could be taken to future adventures or, or I would love to see these characters pop up in a contemporary Star Wars um, film or The Mandalorian or something like that. Because they, as I said, they did pull from this heavily for a couple of moments in the Clone Wars show, the 3D animated television show. Um, the creatures that uh, the monkey men have, they're like two-legged um, sort of tadpole looking giant greenish creatures. Looks like something that would be on Tatooine. Um, they're stop motion animated. They're actually brought back in Clone Wars. So, and they were unused, con they were based on unused concept art for, uh, I believe the Empire Strikes Back, but it could be the Return of the Jedi. But, um, so it's interesting that they were able to use some things they didn't do from the movies in these TV, uh, made-for-TV movies. And it's interesting that there are some people who liked it enough that they brought them into contemporary times, but I just think it could be more. I would love to see Sindel's character brought back in a contemporary way, because she could. She's uh, actually the right age. It's the uh, right time, yeah. So and it, it, would be, it would be pretty sweet uh, to do that. And Wilford Brimley, hell, do whatever you want, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't, what's Paul Giamatti doing right now? I don't know, uh, throw him in there. But yeah, so I don't know. I guess I'm, I babbled about this, but I really liked this one. And it really sold me 100% that Disney should do a, fan, a more heavily fantasy-focused Star Wars spinoff in a live-action series. I think they've got the time. I think they've got the money. And I think people will eat it up, especially since we're seeing a turn back to fantasy interests with things like The Witcher um, and Netflix's 30,000 shows that I don't even remember the name of. Um, and, and sort of the, this post uh, Game of Thrones where people are tired of the excessive politics, but they still want the fin fantasy elements that will allow them to escape. So I'm gonna dive right in here with the recommendations. 
Greg, who would you recommend Ewoks Battle for Endor 2 and why? I mean, if you like the first one, I'd say you at least should give the second one a try. Um, but otherwise, I'd say, like, I mean, hardcore Star Wars fans. Um, wasn't my cup of tea. Um, but like you said, it's a shame because, I mean, the, the costumes are amazing. The special effects are fun. There's some very cool creatures. Um, I think more so in this one than in Caravan of Courage. Oh, yeah. And for it to just kind of feel like this mess... Um, yeah, if you're really into Star Wars, give it a give it a shake, um, but don't come into this expecting kind of a throw on for the family and just have a good time movie. <laughs> True. All right, Mandy, who would you recommend Battle for Endor to, and why? I'd say like a slightly older crowd than uh, maybe what we talked about earlier. Uh, if you've got like eight, nine year olds kind of age kids, 10-year-old kids uh, that you're going to be able to do parental guidance on, you know, whole family dying at the beginning. I think that they're going to like it. Um, there's a lot of fun. Just say, hey, remember Finding Nemo? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. But the parents don't come back at the end. <laughs> just, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's tough. It's like some bad, bad things happen. And uh, this is going to be a fun movie to watch together. And life goes on. All right. Now, Tad, I know. But yeah, you I think it'd be good older kids. Oh, I'm sorry. I ran over Mandy. I steamrolled. Go ahead, Nate. I think I got a delay on my end. That's oh, all. no worries. All right. Tad, I know you weren't able to finish the end of this flick because of uh, family obligations, because apparently we're not as important as, I don't know, work and family. <laughs> but uh, thus far, with what you've seen, uh, do you plan to finish it? And who would you recommend it to if so? I do plan to finish it largely just because I'm a masochist, um, but also because this is, this is a perfect example for people who understand Star Wars, but may not, may not understand the piece that even in 1984, after the trilogy was done, nobody fucking knew what Star Wars was supposed to be about. Star Wars could be fucking anything. Star Wars was pretty much anything. They did whatever the fuck they felt like. Um, I grew like I, I say it all the time. I grew up in an era where Star Wars was only starting to get mainstream with the extended universe. You know, like the books were coming out, the X-wing video game was out, all this stuff. Like that's when Star Wars really started ramping up and really started to coalesce into something that everybody's familiar with now. But back in the '80s, it's like you know you still had Labyrinth, you had Legend, you had Willow, and Star Wars was kind of like, well, we can do some of the sci-fi stuff, we can do some of this fantasy stuff. We don't know what the fuck it's going to be about. Let's do it all and figure it out. Lucas didn't fucking know. Don't let him tell you any differently. He didn't fucking know what he was doing half the time. That's true <laughs> enough. All right, here's my recommendation. I, as you know by now, really enjoyed this film. Uh, but I think the people that are going to get the most enjoyment out of this are weirdos like me who like the sci-fi and fantasy elements equally, or um, people who actually like the 80s, rough around the edges, budgetary restricted, but not super poor uh, sword and sandal fantasy movies. Um, I'm talking barbarians with the barbarian twins. I'm talking sword and sorcery. I'm talking uh, outlaw of gore from 1988 by John Bud Cordos with Jack Palance. Um, these kind of oddball uh, fantasy flicks, you know, you may get one monster, you know, the Conan era uh, uh, slag that kind of came off trying to capitalize on Schwarzenegger's take. 
those things, if you enjoy them like I do, you're really going to like Ewoks The Battle for Endor because that's what it is. Um, you've got uh, a sorceress shape-changing witch. You've got monkey people who stepped out of, you know, early Britain. You have um, little furry creatures in the woods, stop-motion um, carriage mule beasts, all sorts of cool stuff. So if that thing, if that sounds anything like it's up your alley, watch it. If you're not interested in Star Wars at all, don't, then you can pass on the first one and still watch and enjoy this. You don't need to have seen the first one to understand. If so, you think that He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown are both fucking classics, this movie's for you. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I want Disney to revisit this. I also want them to just re-release it so I can get a better transfer. But thank you guys so much. This has been another episode of Colton Classic. As always, to play us out is All About Evil by the Chud. I want all of our listeners all around the world to stay safe. Remember, it is still a pandemic. Uh, keep your distance. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. Don't go out for no reason. No, don't be a douche. Um, also, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. We are excited to announce that our $1 a month members, only $1 a month, will now get e-copies of our zines. Thanks so much and have a great day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.